Hey there, and welcome to the Smart and Simple Matters show with your host, Joel Zeslovsky. Would you like to know why self-employment is the safest, most lucrative, and healthiest form of work in the 21st century? Oh, you would? Good. This is episode number 116. Seasons greetings to you, good listener. That goes all year round, of course. No matter where you are, no matter what I am feeling, there's always a season, and you'll always have my greetings. Now, I have some focus gratitude for a fellow named Patrick, who recently sent some euros my way as a token of appreciation for this podcast. Patrick, that was surprising and fantastic, and I received both the tangible nature of your gift and the intangible spirit of it. If you would also like to support the show like Patrick just did or show your support in general, you can go to joelzeslovsky.com slash support and you'll make me say sweet, sassy, molassy. You make me happy. Well, winter break in the Edina, Minnesota public school system starts today, December 26th, 2016, and that can only mean one thing. I have a kindergartner in my house who wants to play about infinity games of Uno over the next two weeks. Wish him luck and lots of draw twos, skips, and draw fours because his papa is not going to show mercy. Uh, between hanging out with Grant a lot and uh, some increasing urgency for my main project of 2016 that's sliding nicely into 2017, which is a new website for a community I run, The Putty Tribe. You'll be hearing a lot more about that in 2017. Uh, this is actually my second to last episode before taking a bit of a break from podcasting. I have actually been producing a new episode every other week for four and a half years straight without a pause, and the time seems right to live my values. Press uh, the good old pause button and restart with a comfortable gap between episodes. I'll tell you more about that in my next episode, the first and only one of 2017, at least for a while. Today, though, let's talk about work. Your work, my work, how we work, why we work, why we might all want to get on the self-employment train that my friend and guest for this episode, Stephen Worley over at LifeSkillsThatMatter.com, is steering with more people hopping aboard every day. Doot, doot. Stephen and I spoke a lot about a lot of stuff, like how to make big changes without a major crisis forcing them on you, why we learn best when things are hard, how to deprogram yourself to take on the risk of self-employment, or in a related note, why self-employment is the safest, most lucrative, and healthiest form of work right now, how much you really need to earn to support your family and lifestyle, why self-directed learning is an essential life skill that matters Are you out of breath yet? I almost am. I'm going to keep going. A couple more things. (laughs) When intuitive experimenting yields better results than all the best practices in the world, 
and how to control your thoughts without coming across as a robot. (laughs) I'm out of breath just saying all that. So it's a good thing. The self-employment train is heading my way, your way. Climb aboard, take a load off. Here we go. With apologies to Napoleon Dynamite, there are more important skills in the 21st century than nunchuck skills, bow hunting skills, or computer hacking skills. My friend and guest for this episode, Stephen Worley, knows 10 of these super duper important skills, and he's sharing everything he's learned as the founder of LifeSkillsThatMatter.com. He believes self-employment is the future of work and is on a mission to help 1,000 people become self-employed over the next three years by teaching them the life skills that matter for the 21st century economy. In other words, he will help you get your purpose on with work and on your own terms. Welcome back to Smart and Simple Matters, my funky fresh friend. Thank you so much. What a wonderful, amazing, authentic intro. I'm I don't even know what to say. I don't even know if I have anything good to say after that one. Just smile. I'm smiling That's right now. Enough. Totally am. People can tell. <laughs> even though it's audio, people like, can tell. It's when like you I smile. have the I have the big Irish cheeks that like just go right up. They're like scrunched right now with a smile. So thank you. <laughs> Uh, and I've got the the ear to ear smile, like my giant, my <laughs> official big smile. People, every once in a while, someone will ask, "Did you unhinge your jaw? What's going on with your face?" I'm like, "No, I just smile really big." <laughs> okay, oh, now that's, that's such a horrible thing. <laughs> now that people know about our smiles, I thought I'd invite you back on here just so that we could have a good time. I know that when you and I talk, we tend to get. It's quirky, silly, but we always talk about important things, things that matter. And you are on a mission, as I previously mentioned. So let's skip the seeds of awesomeness. We already covered some of them in your first Smart and Simple Matters episode. That was number 75. I'll link to that in the show notes for this episode. And last we left you almost a year and a half ago. That was June 2015. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. I know. It's been a while. And you caught me. You interviewed me at a very interesting time. Yes. You were in a transitional phase. You are definitely in the doing phase right now. But let's just to catch people up in case they need to get caught up. If they've listened to episode 75 and they're like, okay, I need some context. You got to fill me in a little bit here before you guys start talking about all this important stuff. So you had just shut down your Unstuckable podcast and you were planning to do who knows what at that point i became stuck again ironically even though i had this whole podcast about getting unstuck i got stuck you got stuck okay well let's fill in the gaps how did you determine what was next after the last thing i think i've been as a little context i've been working for myself for 16 years and i have even when i first got laid off i was always like gosh is there another way to work i mean i like working i like doing you know that about me right I like to do stuff mm-hmm. and I'm not going to try to get out of work. You know, I don't want to go sit on a beach, but I never knew what to ever do with this thing. And I think the economy or things have changed in such a way that now it's ready for more people like me. There's tons of people doing what I'm doing. You know, I'm just putting my own take on it. But, uh, you know, I start you know, to kind of tap into this idea of how could you work differently or live life differently? You know, if, if the whole 20th century version of work is starting to really break down well what's going to rise in its place and that's what i've always been trying to explore just i've interviewed hundreds of people about this read tons of books i've done all kinds of experiments and finally i decided to 
take it to another level. So I decided to do that podcast on Stuckable because I, the way I would say a lot of times, or at least in my world, people would express to me that they felt stuck. They actually used that word. And I was, I wanted to explore what that was all about. So people get stuck for lots of reasons, you know, just this is how life works. And I was really looking at it at the economic level. And the way I would describe it is that I think there is this new emerging economy, but nobody's clearly or forcefully explained what that is and how we should all prepare for that and how we should be thinking differently, educating ourselves differently, acquiring different skills so we can actually thrive in that. So we are all trying to still function in this new emerging economy using all the skills that were great (laughs) for the 20th century economy, right? Um, Our entire educational system was all about uh, having everybody be the same or um, following schedules to prepare you to go work in a factory or what then became to a huge extent instead of being, yeah very specialized yeah. yeah and it did and to have you you were as human beings I know we don't want to think of ourselves like this but we were at interchangeable parts just like any assembly line in a factory that's the way it was designed I mean the corporate leaders encouraged the development of our educational system in the early 20th century in this way. And now there's always good and bad with every system. Uh, there are things that just don't work anymore. And one of my pet peeves, Joel, was always the way I would describe my frustration with public education or how I felt like I was denied this opportunity to see where things were really going is the whole idea that how many teachers would say, did you follow the directions? <laughs> you got to follow the directions, Joel. Mm-hmm. got to follow the directions, Steven. Show your work. And now... Let me into before I demonize that. Let me I will say this in defense of that. I get follow the directions. What a great way to pass on knowledge from one person to another, from one generation to another. No, no doubt. I'm, we need directions. But I I don't know about you, but for me, I never remember any teacher saying you can do your own directions or you can find your own way. Or if you have a better way of doing it, tell me how or show me how. Or if you have questions about how you want to do something differently, not just questions about how you have to do the exact step-by-step directions that I provided you. No, but you were never allowed to question the directions. Am I a crazy man? No, no. But (laughs) what I do want to understand better is the existing public education system, at least in America, the the way that I experienced it, that you experienced it, that my son is currently experiencing it. You're saying that it's not setting us up for the things that matter most now in the 21st century. So without getting into a a 50-point plan of how you are going to change the public education system in America over the next 20 years, what are a couple of the core tenets, just not of public education, just in education in general? Because my sense is that private schools as well are similarly focused on the things that public schools are. They just might have a different methodology for it or maybe a different different approach. The style may be different, but the end goals are very similar to the public education system. So just from education in general, starting from, say, approximately two years old until you're, who knows, 20, what are a couple of things that you would say, we have to do this in a new way? We do not teach people how to think for themselves or to problem solve or to be creative. We are teaching them to accept authority, to follow the directions, and to do exactly as they're told, and to be like everybody else. 
and to focus your energy on the stuff that you're not good at rather than focusing your energy on the stuff that you are really good at. So, Joel, it seems to me where we had a very predictable industrial economy in the 20th century. The 21st century, I think a lot of us are experiencing, is very exciting but very unpredictable and is loaded with problems. But we are not preparing people to think in that way to say, hey, here's this problem. What are some experiments I can I can try to solve this problem, right? Because you're always provided the set direction. This is the way you have to do it. We are not encouraging people to experiment. Try three experiments. See what happens. Don't worry. We're not going to get a bad grade. Just go experiment. Nobody t- says that to you. So by the time you get to be an adult, even at work, our entire uh, corporate system is set up in such a way that we like you do not want to fail because you can, you've been slapped on the hand so much throughout your life that failure we've taught people that failure is one of the worst things that could happen to you and not only that we are instinctually designed to want to avoid failure in the first place <laughs> so i'm of the, the the belief that we need to experiment to make mistakes that's the best way to learn them from all the brain books i happen to be reading over the last two years seems that our brain, we learn best when stuff is hard, when we actually have to use our hands, we have to figure it out with ourselves, we have to figure it out with other people. And then once we find that solution, we really know how to do it. Instead of just straight up memorization, that's all most education ever was for me. It was just memorize, 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 memorize. Don't think for yourself. So you're proposing student-directed learning. I don't know whether you would call that unschooling. Basically, you as a kid, I'm, a, you get, I'm more of an advocate of that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that I think life skills that matter is kind of the adult ed version of what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to inspire people to deprogram themselves to say, listen, you if you have a you, you might be have been looking for work for a long time and nothing's happening for you and you want to get paid what you used to get paid, or you're in a job right now where you feel not valued, you don't feel creative, you feel like a loss of control. You've seen your wages go be stagnant or you're in an industry where everything is getting automated. And that's not just blue collar jobs. That's also white collar jobs. And you're, you're, and you're saying to yourself, well, now what? What am I supposed to do? And what I'm saying to, to people is that we really have to learn one of the most important life skills that matter is self-directed learning. Actually, as a skill, Joel, because we are I, – I love asking this question. Let me ask you. Has anybody ever asked you, or how often has pe- have people asked you, how do you like to learn? Do you know? Normally, people are asking me, are you a visual learner, an auditory learner, a tactile learner? And that's when I say, I don't believe in those learning styles. I, 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 I can learn in all of them. But no, no one ever really comes up to me and says, so I'm going to teach you something. But before I do, how do you like to learn? It, it doesn't happen. doesn't happen, which is insane to me. Because we all learn in different ways. And to your point, not only do we all learn different ways, we actually learn, at least for me, I learn certain topics or subjects or scenarios differently than others. Uh, I like to learn on my, I like to read something on my own. Say, for example, uh, if I want to really dive into understanding what's going on in a particular place in the world of why something's happening in a certain way, I love reading but when I really want to understand life's big questions, I like to talk to people and listen to what they have to say. Uh, and then there's times where when I'm gardening, 
I like to just try stuff. I don't really read about it. I don't ask other people. I just plant stuff, do things, arrange things in a way, and I just see what happens. But why would you do that when in five minutes of research, you could perhaps find some things based on the soil conditions of the specific region of the United States that you live in or anticipate what the weather conditions might be in July, whereas when you're planting in April, like why would you just start throwing things in the ground? It's too easy? Two reasons. That's cheating? I have two reasons. Okay. Number one, I have actually done things before that people said you could never do that. And I did it and I had great success. So just be, that's the other thing. I, I, if your listeners haven't gotten this vibe from me now, I like to challenge authority or the status quo. I just can't help it. And not for the sake of doing it, just because I always like to learn more. Challenge, you know, I want to challenge stuff because that means I'm learning. Maybe there is a better way to do something. That's number one. There's times where I've totally failed and I should have done the way that has been the established way. And then I learned my lesson. Then I, I know for myself, Joel, that that is truly the right way. I can't just read about it, take somebody else's word for it. For some other people, maybe yourself included, that seems not efficient or effective. But I tell you, it makes me a deeper learner, especially in a topic like gardening. You know how much I love it, that I really want to know for myself. And then I could see and like, oh, now I get it. Like my wife and I did this experiment this year where we had so many strawberries in our strawberry patch, we couldn't bring ourselves to rip them out to plant our squash plants. So he said, why don't we dig a huge hole every like 18 inches and we'll create big squash mounds and we'll put our squashes there. And then half of the garden didn't have uh, strawberry plants. So we just planted out the rest of the mounds. Well, guess what? The squash mounds that were in the strawberries did terrible. They did not grow. But the ones that weren't, that were on their own in the regular dirt without the, uh, the strawberry plants did tremendous. So we thought we were being so swift saying, oh, we can keep the strawberries, but this is all also great for keeping weeds down. But what, what we really learned is all the roots from underneath from the strawberries are getting under the mounds of the squash plants and depleting their nutrients. And that is not something that was beneficial and was kind of a big wasted experiment for us. Not, not a wasted experiment, but a waste of our production. Yeah. And we learned a big lesson for the rest of our lives of how to do this. I mean, just another, I mean, just like why, I guess it's, why, why, why don't we want to find out on our own? It's just everybody's waiting for somebody to tell them how to do something. It's, as somebody who's hired a lot of people throughout my career, nothing is more annoying to me than somebody who says, well, how do I start? What do I do? And it's like, well, why don't you try, get to a point where you really don't know how to go any further and then ask me a specific question. Try. And I think that's really frustrating because what we what what's happened to us then we're becoming so dependent on this system that may or may not exist or is declining or whatever you want to think of it instead of learning how to survive with or without the system helping each other survive working with each other i mean that's how we've all evolved is as humans is to help each other out rather than just waiting for somebody to tell us what to do so if somebody is doing work on my behalf for my company, yes. for my project, for whatever it is, don't I have the privilege of bestowing upon them some of the knowledge that I know, things that I can almost guarantee you they're going to work. All you got to do is do it. Or maybe I'm super particular about something, a spreadsheet, for example, and I want it done my way just because well, it makes I, I, me I feel think, good. I, I, I is think there any room for that anymore? 
I think there, I think there's always a balance, right? So I'll explain how I handle these situations. Are we going too deep I, on life skill number one? Because we've got ten. No, we're not. We're not going to hit all ten. But we're I love self-directed learning here, and we're we're doing self-directed good. learning. Okay, keep. I think okay. this is a cool one. I'd like to hit on self-awareness if we can, but self-directed learning is important. Actually, can I just quickly, just as a little teaser? Please. There are ten skills. I think they're all really important. But I think when people want to make that transition from employment to self-employment to create their own income, their own job, and they're so focused on creating the money, what I've learned and what I want to teach them is there's actually four skills, four habits you need to cultivate first on a regular basis to get value, to create money. And they are self-awareness slash self-reflection. It is self-directed learning creating the act of creating the act of experimenting the way we've just been talking about actually creating and doing something from scratch and connecting connecting with others uh meeting new people collaborating with like-minded people who are doing what you want to do so even as a self-reflection exercise every week you might want to ask yourself did i learn anything this week did I meet anybody new this week or follow up with other people that I might have should have followed up with, with that I could support? They could be supporting me. Did I experiment with anything? Did I create anything this week? And, and really part of that self-reflection exercise is self-awareness. You keep getting to know yourself a little, little bit better because the end goal, Joel, is not only do I want to inspire people to work for themselves, but to design their own business models based on their values, their habits, their circumstances, and their needs not just pulling another somebody else's business model off the shelf and trying to copy them. Because I tell you one thing, I've seen that fail time and again because you aren't that person. You have to make it your own. I digress. Are you with me? A good digression. Yeah, I'm still with you. But now okay. I'm now I'm focused on some of these other things. I am going but, to... But I just want to do a little recap, but I, w- I would okay. like to kind of finish up with self-directed learning sure. because it is so important, this idea of having regular learning goals in your life. And also if you're... A couple of things, if you're like, oh my gosh, I don't like to learn. You know why you don't like to learn? Because nobody ever gave you the chance to find out how you like to learn. You were taught one very specific way. Not everybody is going to thrive in an academic environment. It's just not the way it is. There can't be a one-size-fits-all educational system, even as much as we've tried. And, um, and, and for our efforts, it hasn't been all that bad. I mean, I know we've been really knocking the public education system. But when you think the scope and the size of educating people in a population of 330 million people, it's pretty amazing. Uh, but this idea, what I would I, kind of a quick thing I'd want your listeners to take away is if you say to yourself, I don't like to learn, I want you to figure out, make a list of stuff that you are just naturally curious about or stuff you've been thinking about. You're like, I think I kind of want to learn more about that. I always wondered why this was or whatever that is. Or if you don't know right off the top of your head, just keep a little notepad or something on your phone. Just things pop in your head, just write them down. And then pick one of those things that you're really curious about that you think might even be fun. And then just go figure out how you want to learn. You might naturally say, I want to go buy a book or you're like, I want to go talk to somebody or you might just go out and try to do it. Whatever your thing is, just be have, bring that self-awareness to see like, how is it that I'm learning? What seems to be working? What's not working? So that way you start getting a little bit more confidence and more enjoyment about out of the whole learning process to begin with. And whether you believe this or not, there's stuff that you're learning all the time and just bring awareness to how you're learning about it. You know, you get a new computer, you get a new television, you get a new um, 
tablet, you're going to have to learn how to use that. So just, you know, pay more attention to how it is that you are teaching yourself how to learn it. You know, what is your style that you can be bringing to other areas and other topics? And the other thing I would recommend is at least on a quarterly basis, have some sort of learning goal. What is something that you want to learn, whether it's personal or it's professional? Okay. Can it be beyond that? Can it be spiritual? Can it be... To, oh, yes. Okay. Absolutely. Just, just something that you're actively... Is it... You want to add to your life. I mean, that's the, you're driving. The, the idea of self-directed learning is finding a sense of purpose and enjoyment and motivation, right? Because if you just focus on money to build a business, I will tell you one thing. There's a very small part of the population that is only motivated by money. The rest of us actually need to have a sense of purpose. And so that's why self-directed learning is so important to really start embracing this, to find out what does motivate you to want to explore your curiosities, to learn something, even when it gets hard that you want to push through. And one quick point I want to make why self-directed learning is so important in the 21st century economy, Joel, is because it's changing so fast that we are going to learn more skills more quickly than we have ever learned before in previous economies. And so that's why we really need to cultivate that skill of self-directed learning. Okay. So important. You made a lot of big claims. And Huge I'm, claims. I'm supportive of a lot of them, too. There's been a lot of talk about self, self-employment, self-awareness, self-directed learning, self, 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 self. So it's, I'm getting it. It's up to me. Yeah, like, me. I, no one's going to make this happen for me in the 21st century. I need to make this happen for myself. Okay. I'm on board with you there. But, but, I, but the cool thing is I don't, I don't look at this as this individual, selfish, like oh, that, American, that American myth of yes. like – a self-made man, a person. I think you and I get excited about what's so cool is I love this this world we're entering because there's there's nothing more than helping each other out. It's so cool to like help actual real humans that I can look in the eye rather than some huge faceless entity that has dehumanized me. Okay. So I guess this this begs the question, at least for me, why are you so freaking positive? That self-employment is the safest, I believe I've heard you made the claim, um, most lucrative and the healthiest form of work in the 21st century. Break it down however you want. If you need to go, okay, point A, point B, let's go to C or F or J if we need to. But start giving me some ideas of why you can say with such confidence that self-employment is the thing right now. Even right now, or has always been, you know what it does? I'll say one thing as a paradigm. When you are an employee and you're in a job 5, 10, 15 years, you are shielded from risk. And all of a sudden, when you get laid off or fired and you are thrown back out into the marketplace and you look around, you're like, oh, my God, I don't know anybody. My skills seem to be out of date. I don't even know what the new trends are. Because you were so myopically focused on what the needs of that organization that you were looking at. Now, if you're self-employed and you are a consultant in that industry or an independent contractor, you're working and on lots of different opportunities, lots of different um, for, for lots of different companies, and you're working with lots of different people. And Joel, you're constantly looking for new income opportunities. So you're constantly staying sharp. You're not. You're always looking for work. It's not something that. Oh, I got my job. Now I'll put my work skills off onto the shelf when I need to go get them again in a few years, five years, 10 years. So you are sharpening your sword continually. That is my basic argument of why it is more important to be a self-employed person. That is just that's just why I think it's a it's a great thing beyond the freedom, the control of your time, the more money that you can make. 
The other thing that is now happening, Joel, is automation. Lots of talk going on right now in our national discourse about what is killing all of our jobs. And trade deals has been part of that. But the bigger job killer has been automation. That is not going to stop. It's going to accelerate and it's going to affect all jobs. You're a bookkeeper right now. You might not have a job in five to 10 years because that is all going to get automated. So what are we going to do? If this is all keeps getting automated, so there's a shrinking pool of jobs, of good paying jobs that large entities, public and private, are going to keep creating. So you, as I always like to say, can pick your stress. You can continue to be stressed and try to uh, compete for those that shrinking pool of jobs. Or you can be stressed and take the next year to three years of your life to start learning some of these new skills as a self-employed person to prepare you and to help you see way more opportunities than you will ever see as an employee. And that way you're setting up, you're creating your own system for the longer term. So that way you are more flexible, more adaptable because you're constantly acquiring new skills, creating new value, meeting new people, seeing new opportunities. Are you buying what I'm selling? With caveats, uh, I, I don't mean to. I don't mean to continually be the the butt butt guy. Believe me, I love that. Though. I on your side. Uh, I believe most of what you believe, and so let me just see if I can t- tease this one apart just a little bit here. So the thing that I view as contradictory is you mentioned pick your stress, and yes. one of the reasons why I feel like self employment is great for me personally and for other people I know is because they don't have to constantly look for more income opportunities. And you just said a few minutes ago that if you are self-employed, then you do need to be looking out on the horizon all the time because whatever it is, your existing thing or things, maybe they fall apart, maybe you lose a big client, you don't want that to be the death blow to your business or to your family or whatever may happen to be. But I, if I am self-employed, and I am bouncing around from medium to topic to industry to consultancy to different business models. I want to experiment, right? Because experimenting is a big part of the whole life skills that matter thing. I feel like I would be more focused on money than less focused. And one of my goals in life is to have money play its role, which is purely as a tool to provide for the future needs of me and my family and the people who I love and care about. Self-employment seems like it is in conflict with that goal. You tell me how I might have it wrong, if I do have it wrong. You're not not wrong. This is the way I look at it. Self-employment, when you're an employee, you don't have control over large chunks of your time. When you're self-employed, you get to control every single minute. So that way you get to design a system that makes sense for you. The fatal flaw of also how we've been taught about income is we always value ourselves or value others based on their annual salary, no matter how much you work or however long your commute, commute is, right? And we ever, never really drill down into the actual hourly rate that you're working. Do that calculation for yourself and don't forget your commuting time or all the time that you're doing work at home. When you're working for yourself, you set up that system. So what has happened for me, and I see this happen for a lot of self-employed people, you start focusing on your hourly rate. Because that's what you really want to drive up. Joel, I once ran a training business where I had revenues of half a million dollars. I made about $225,000 one year. And I was working about 20 hours a week. And that it was a choice I was making for how I wanted to be running these businesses. Because there's a lot of on-demand resources out there where you could be creating new work opportunities for people to take off different parts of your business or different things. So, for example, 
we were talking before of the team that I'm putting together. I'm doing a podcast, but I this time around, I'm hiring somebody to actually edit my podcast because that is going to save me time and it creates a tax deduction for me, which is going to lower my tax rate and help me make more money. Mm-hmm. So where I think where a lot of times people it's another big mindset shift of how to really organize your time and how much money you're going to make. And the other error that people make, Joel, they never take the time to actually calculate the cost of their lifestyle. Can I do a shameless plug? (laughs) Yeah. I actually created, which I think is a pretty cool calculator, a spreadsheet. It's called the Lifestyle Calculator. You can go to lifeskillsatmatter.com slash calculator. And you can actually calculate how much money you really need because what in the traditional employment mindset you're just constantly going after more and more money i would actually argue that's where you're you're constantly going after more and more money but in the self-employed world you can you can go after more and more money or you can actually understand how much money do you really need to live on every year to do all the things that you want to do and to be saving for the future so for carrie and i that number happens to be around seventy thousand dollars a year we happen to live in Northern Virginia, so it's a little bit more expensive, and we just moved from Boston. Yeah. Um, if Carrie and I moved to another part of the country, I know with confidence we could move that down to forty to fifty thousand dollars a year. We're pretty simple, actually. Our basic biggest expenses are travel. So, in that vein, you are really designing. You're working backwards. Once you understand what your annual income is and how much you need, then you understand what your monthly number is. And once you understand your monthly number, depending on what it is, the product that you're selling, the service that you're selling, you understand what the price is or you start doing your research to see what are other people charged for a service related to this or product related to this. So that way you can tell how many clients that you need to hit that number. So when you're starting out, is it a lot of work? Is it going to be stressful? Absolutely. You've been there. I've been there. Uh I'm starting over again. And it's just as stressful as when I started my last business. But for me, I've been here before and I know how to better manage that stress. Once you can come through that, start building up that system, you you know, you're probably going to be priced a little bit lower. You're probably going to be taking on clients and customers that you don't like. You're probably going to be working way more than you would like you would like to be working, even from compared to your last job. But as you start growing, you start getting more experience, you acquire more skills, and you meet more people, then you can start picking out better clients, better customers, improving your product and service, raising your prices. And that way you can start taking down the amount of time that you need to be spending on this business. I mean, we've, we've a lot of, I'm sure everybody by now has heard about Tim Ferriss' 4-Hour Workweek, where he really laid out a lot of these principles. Somewhere where I think a lot of times people take some of the lessons in that book incorrectly. This is not about getting out of work. This is about working more effectively in a way that makes sense to you. Work with purpose too. So much of what I got out of the four-hour work week was just about here's how to make the most money in the least amount of time. Yeah. Kick it on the beach and not be of service or value to anyone else for the rest of your life. Go enjoy your hedonistic lifestyle, everyone. Sure, that's fine for some period of time, but for the rest of my life, no, no thanks. Which I'm so excited you're bringing out this one because a lot of the time, a lot of the people I'm intentionally talking to now aren't necessarily wildly successful people. I'm actually talking to a lot of people who are just in the early stages of this process who are figuring it out because I often find those people more relatable. And there's also been research done supposedly you only need $75,000 a year to be happy. Anything after that is diminishing returns. It doesn't really make you any happier. And a lot of times people who have a lot of money are afraid of losing it and they become very depressed and stressed out about losing it. So it really makes them unhappy. 
So I think you really need to understand, which the, what I love about this calculator and understanding how much money you really need is two things. It really forces you to say, well, what do I really want out of life and how much does that cost? And a lot of times when I've done this exercise with people, Joel, it turns out your life does not cost nearly as much as you think it does. A lot of times people will say, I need to make $100,000. And I'm like, where'd you pull that number from? You know, out of thin air because it sounds good because that sounds like a nice status symbol to hit, right? Mm-hmm. Turns out maybe you only need $65,000 a year, you know, and you'll be just as happy. Or with some of your other life skills that matter, like purging, for example, and simplifying, you don't need as much as you previously thought you did. No, you just don't. I want to keep going on this because your calculator, I'll link to it in the show notes. It's a spreadsheet. (laughs) And I know all the formulas are done. All the formulas are done so it's super easy just gonna plug in your numbers that's it anytime i have the opportunity to get someone else in a spreadsheet i'm gonna do it regardless of whether somebody asked me to or not so we got that going for us one thing as far as your new site life skills that matter well at least it's new as of december 2016 when we're talking you mentioned before that the world is finally ready for people like you and going, I know you, we're friends, I get your vibe, I get your aesthetic, I understand your value proposition, but for people who don't really understand, like, what do you mean by the world is now ready for somebody like you and gives you the opportunity to help people more than, say, five, ten years ago? I think, fi- well, it's the internet, right? I mean, the internet changed everything. I always say 19, that early 90s, or ni- started in 1989, because I'm also a history major, folks. So a little disclaimer, I always look at things from a historical perspective. 1989 was a very pivotal year for me. I happened to be 14 years old that year and I studied abroad in England. But it was also the year that uh, Eastern Europe started to become free behind the Iron Curtain. It started a chain reaction. There was Tiananmen Square. That's when China decided to make a deal with their people to say, let us stay in power and we will give you a capitalist economy. And then uh, the Soviet Union fell apart. Germany got reunited. Then we go to 1994 and the internet started to come along. And the huge shift of what has happened is the United States dominated the world from 1945 to about 1990. We owned everything. We made everything and we sold it out to the world. And all of a sudden, India started to change its mind and China started to change its mind. And like all of a sudden, Europe and Russia are changing their mind about how they want to do things. And all of a sudden, there's a lot more competition in the world. And not only is a lot more competition in the world to make stuff and sell stuff, but all of a sudden, the internet comes along, this new mind-blowing technology that makes distributing products and information across the world easier than ever before. I mean, the, the barriers to entry just dropped the price of everything. Back to 1999, I remember when I had to call my parents from England back to the United States, that was a super expensive phone call. We were like on the phone for 10 minutes because that probably cost like $15 back then. Oh, I remember calling cards from Europe in 1999. I was there too and that cost a lot. And then here you and I are now talking for free over the internet. Yeah, that's rad. (laughs) So that's the mind-blowing thing that has changed. I think people don't realize. And all of a sudden, we were the the top of the heap and all of a sudden now more people want to cut of that action and who's it who's it's going to come at our expense right but i still do believe that the united states of america even in this chaotic time where we're going into a new economy is still so much better at creativity innovation reinvention 
um, helping each other out, philanthropy, than any other country in the world. I would still put all of my money and invest it in the United States of America. I really would. So what about all the people who are listening who don't live in the United States? What do they do? I think they have an amazing opportunity. No, but I think they still have an amazing opportunity. I think Africa is an untold story of the amazing economic transition going on there. The cool thing, which has also happened across the world, is that you don't have to come necessarily to the United States anymore. I think the, the, the what's happening in the world is the United States, I hope, can still be that creative, innovative hub. But I think that's going to start spilling over in different ways. And I think it's, gonna, it's happening in China. It's happening in Brazil, Europe, of course. But I also think that China has been great about manufacturing things and at a lower cost than we have been able to manufacture things. Um, I think Europe, say Germany, for example, as a country, has done pretty well compared to many other European countries. And they have gone over the very high end, that very high end skilled manufacturing. So I think what's happening in the world, it's almost as you hear this personal branding thing. It's almost every country kind of coming up with its own brand of its role to play in the new global economy. And some countries are going to be better at things than others. But I'm I, it's, at least it's my hope if we can start planting the seed in people's heads of how to be thinking about work differently in the way that I'm describing, that that can bubble up across societies and governments so that we all realize that we all have a role to play because we are one big human family that really needs to work together. And just as a quick sidebar, but something like Africa still, I think there's a huge disconnect in the Western media compared to the realities of what's going on in Africa and the success. I think a lot of people don't realize that the um, the GDP of Angola is significantly larger than Portugal. And not long ago, Angola was a colony of Portugal, right? And it was suffered from a decade-long civil war. There's so many amazing stories like that and technology, which is going to help a place like Africa advance even more quickly in ways that we might not even anticipate. You know, there could be a whole generation of uh, people coming up that might look at Africa in a very different way than than you and I were taught to look at it, Joel. Well, hopefully they don't look at it as just an entire continent with a single narrative. I know that's not what you're trying to paint right here too, but but my view of the 21st century (laughs) is stories are more personalized. They're more local. Um, You can't just say, oh, North America is this. No, 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 no. That doesn't apply anymore. As There's a Duke no England, I'm offended. <laughs> uniformity there. Um, it could be country by country. Some countries, our country, for example, you can't just say the U.S. represents this and have everybody inside it be like, oh, yeah, sure, that totally applies to me. Um, things are going to be a little bit different in terms of how we weave the narrative of what a certain idea where it came from, the culture that it came from, the nation, if the concept of nations still exist the way that they do right now. Uh, Yeah, that's a thing. Mm -hmm. One thing that I do want to, you've been making lots of statements and claims, many of which I'm nodding my head with, but you, you have so much confidence, which I love about you. There's so much certainty and enthusiasm in your voice, which I also love about you. But I also know like you ask really hard questions of other people and of yourself. So what are, what are some of the big questions that you're not sure about right now? Either that you're asking yourself or others. Ooh, that's a great one. And by the way, I, can I just comment on this idea of being certain? A lot of times people would say certain. And it's not with, um, it's not that I'm being naive. It's that sometimes certainty can be inspirational and inspiring and to open up 
mindsets in a way that if you're just going to be middle of the road and have a lot of doubt around it, people are not going to want to even explore that idea or go into it deeper. So I think that's why I do feel certain and profound or very confident about talking about this stuff. Um, and I just feel like I've had enough experiences, talked to enough people, read enough and looked a lot enough data to say, you know what? I got to take a chance on something. This is what I'm taking a chance on. You know, there's other people, you know, things you get, there's other people who could take a bet on it. The hard questions or just big questions. What do you find yourself at? So one of my big questions right now is how do I ask better questions? I, for the last couple of years, I've been on this continuous search for people, for ideas. Like, how do I not come up with the answers? Because I've never been very good at that. But one thing that I feel like I am good at, that I could be even better at, is asking better questions. So that's something that I ask myself. I know this is kind of meta level now, but how do I go about in all the interactions that I have asking really good questions? I'm not sure yet, but I feel like I'm getting closer to some answers and that other people, when I put that out to the world, they're like, oh, well, talk to this person or read this book or whatever it may happen to be. What questions are you asking yourself or are other people asking you that just seem to be reoccurring and important right now? I think a big question for me that I don't think I've even articulated or shared, so I'm sharing on this podcast, is how do you find the balance between controlling your thoughts to become more directed around your purpose without acting like a robot about it. How do you, you know, there's all those pesky thoughts that does not allow ourselves to be our best selves or distract us or slows us down. But it's, it is a practice as I, you, I've gotten much better and better about short circuiting, very unproductive thoughts. Uh, but like the same Homer token. style where you sure we all have that like, right quiet brain or I'll stab you with a Q-tip. <laughs> right. But sometimes you don't you don't want to end up being so robotic about it. Um, I think sometimes I get very concerned with this personal branding movement that is in our space or a lot of people talk about it um, because sometimes you get so focused and you get so good about aligning everything that sometimes it ends up sounding a little less authentic and a little less human. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. If you have so much self-control and self-awareness, then you're not necessarily superior than other people, but you're operating on a different wavelength than them. And the kind of assuredness and the kind of just, hey, I want to redirect myself or redirect you, you have the ability, if you can manipulate yourself and your own thoughts well, you can probably do the same thing to other people and other people might pick up on it. So I don't know. I have if another. Hmm? No, I have another question that popped into my head. What's that? You're, you just get me going here. <laughs> I have I talked to so many people, and and one of the themes of what gets somebody to change and to want to work for themselves, nine times out of ten, it's a crisis. It's a economic crisis. You lose your job. Um, you get fired. You have a family crisis. You know, a spouse gets ill. Child gets ill. One of your parents. It's a healthcare crisis, you got cancer, your life is threatened in some way, you have a near-death experience. And I want to wonder, why does it take a crisis to realize that people really, that the change that I'm advocating is going to benefit them in the long term? Like it took a crisis for me, I had to lose my job to even find this path. I often wonder, would I have ever found this path if I never got laid off? And I'm wondering, is there another method 
to inspire people to want to make this big change without a crisis? I think I have a partial answer. I'd love to hear it. I believe humans are hardwired to act in periods of intense pain. So if it doesn't hurt enough, I'm not going to do anything about it. It's true. I I know it's not that simple, but there are so many, you know this. I mean, what we've been talking about and focusing on is work, which is huge. Mm -hmm. It it overlaps Mm -hmm. with so many other facets of your life, your health, your family life, your social impact, whatever it may happen to be. But I can only actively pursue so many of these different facets of life. You've got 10 life skills that matter. I can only work on one or two of them really well at one time. I can't do all oh, 10 Oh, absolutely. Of them at one time. So I totally, yeah. I, I believe your question is over the course of maybe five or 10 years, how do people not realize this or act upon it? Not as in like, why didn't you do something about it today? More like you had all this time or you had all these resources. Why aren't you doing something to better yourself and to better the world? That's really what I, I hear the question is. Yeah, like what bums me out is, is when somebody comes along and they're like, I, got, I just got laid off. I'm like, I should have listened to you, Stephen. I should have listened to you. You're right. That, I almost feel it right now. I'm, I'm hunching my shoulders. It, it weighs on me. I don't know why I take it so personally. Maybe I shouldn't. But at the same token, I'm like, it's never too late. What, let's, get, let's do this. And, and my other funny thought is, I mean, is, there, is it possible to have a self-induced crisis? Well, what do you mean by self-induced? I mean, I got my wife pregnant and we had a child. I wouldn't really call that a crisis, although it did spark a tremendous evolution and sequence of changes that led me to this conversation right here. So yes, sure. I did that. I took responsibility. But it wasn't was it intentionally it. to like do like I'm saying. No, I didn't be like I want to have a kid so that I can be a better person. <laughs> That's not right. what was going on at all. But yeah, how or, can or, you have or, a self-induced just... crisis? I think some people do that though. Some people either put so much money on something. Like, I am going to put my life savings into this thing, therefore generating a crisis. If it doesn't work the way that I want, then I will be destitute and bad things will happen to me. You can just make that giant bet and create that crisis point just by putting joke. it all in. And some it works out for some people. I'm not designed like that. I like transitions. Well, let, let's speak of transitions. So I want to make sure that you have an opportunity in terms of what you can do. Uh, there's a lot of really cool things that you're offering up now. I remember six, eight months ago, you sent me an email and you're like, hey, dude, I got this new website up. You want to <laughs> check it out? And and I was like, yeah, sure. I, I love breaking my friend's websites and seeing functionally how it works and telling them about a typo here or there. I look through it and I was... I do. Up. I love you for that. You're awesome. Thank you for being my second eyes, man. You make me so much better. Oh, thank you. I really enjoy it nitpicking and it feels like that too i'm like okay i get it i'm nitpicking here but your form, i like it your form did not do what i expected it to or i was able to submit data without filling in the required field so apparently it tells me on the front end that it's required but on the back end your system is not requiring that i fill in that field maybe you want to do something about it because that's a pretty key piece of information it's all those little things that i enjoy doing the point of me saying that is six eight months ago your website and your your resources that you're pouring into lifeskillsthatmatter.com were already pretty awesome. Now, at the end of 2016, I'm looking at it again with a fresh set of eyes. I'm like, dude, kudos. You've got some awesome stuff here. I know you had something in particular that you want to mention, uh, 12-week Life Skills That Matter self-assessment challenge. What's up with that? 
Yeah, I mean, I just, I think what I'm always an advocate of is um, if you really want to learn about yourself, self-employment is a great option. But if you want to work for yourself, you really need to learn about yourself. They kind of go hand in hand. And to accelerate that process, if you're on the fence right now, you think that you might want to work for yourself before just jumping into some other business model because somebody else made a lot of money, take the time to assess yourself. And that's why I created this free uh, self-assessment challenge. There's 12 challenges. I send one to you every single week because you should just focus on one challenge every week. Stuff like getting to know what your values are or what uh, what it, what makes you energetic. You know, How do you manage your energy? Of course, Joel, I have a purging challenge in there because you and I love simplifying. So mm-hmm. that's an important thing, especially if you have no idea what you want to do with life. I love the purge because when you get rid of stuff and the stuff that's left behind, you start to have this communication with your deeper subconscious mind about what is really important to you because now you got rid of all the crap that you don't care about and what's left is stuff that you're excited about and it gives you energy. So it's stuff like that. And I, and I think it's something that um, I'm really surprised. I, I don't know. You know, you throw things out into the world, right, Joel? And I'm like, well, people really like go all the way to the end. And like people are, <laughs> you know, like people are opening up that email, clicking on it after 12 weeks. And I, I have to say I'm surprised and super excited. Well, good. Like I'm... people really want to learn about themselves. Yeah. Well, not just for their own benefit, but for the benefit of others. I mean, a lot of the self-awareness that I generate, it feels great. Like, I'm like, oh, I'm doing that thing again. Better stop doing the thing. But also, like, why? Why stop doing the thing? Well, it makes me a better version of myself, and I can show up better for my family and for my neighbors and my community and all my friends scattered across the internet and all these lovely places. A lot of it is other-serving, but it starts with me. So I'm glad that you allow people to be a better version of themselves through this challenge. I'll link to it in the show notes uh, because it's like a lot of things that are going on here. I even like your color scheme. This rich orange. It's very much like what I've got on joelsoslavsky.com. And I was like, yeah, like the orange kind of in your face, but also in a very welcoming, vibrant kind of way. So just want to give you a little shout out for the color scheme that you chose. Uh, and on that note, when people go to lifeskillsatmatter.com, is that where you would like people to find you these days or is there anywhere else online? That yeah, like lifeskillsatmatter.com. I also do a podcast. So you can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or whatever other app that you're using. The, cha- the link to the challenges, if you don't want to go to the show notes, is lifeskillsatmatter.com slash challenge. And uh, yeah, give me your feedback. I'm just always here for you. I mean, as I hope you can tell and, and I think Joel could hopefully concur. I love helping people go through this transition because it was so awesome and painful for me that I, I've been there and I want to guide you through that process. Mm. You are such an excellent guide. Uh, and you ask such good questions. I know you've been making a lot of statements too, but like you said, your ability to challenge people and challenge them in a way where they don't get defensive, where they get inquisitive instead, that's really hard to do. And you do it really well. Um, so thank you for bringing that to the table. And thanks for this lovely chat, my friend. All right. So how many times did you pause this episode to jot down some notes about your future business ideas? Hmm? Does Steven's enthusiasm transfer to you and help you set some upcoming learning goals? You will find all the stuff we spoke about, links, topic, timestamps, takeaways, and more grooviness in the show notes for this episode at joelzeslowski.com slash sasm116. 
You'll also see information in the show notes about how to support me, this show, and our community at joelzeslovsky.com slash support. The last name is Z-A-S-L-O-F-S-K-Y. And as you're over there checking out the show notes, perhaps click the link to the Life Skills That Matters podcast. You like podcasts. You're listening to one. You, If you liked what Stephen had to say, you will dig Life Skills That Matter podcast. It's off to a great start, uh, especially my favorite so far in its young history is episode 14 with super connector and entrepreneur Paul McNeil. I have to say, some people have told me that I'm a super connector. Um, even whether you are or whether you aren't, aren't, having one in your life can make the difference between an itty-bitty impact and a ripple effect that's felt far and wide. I've seen it happen. It's beautiful. Uh, you can find it at lifeskillsthatmatter.com slash podcast or link to in the show notes. As I said, those are joelsislaski.com slash sasm116. Well, that'll do it for 2016. Hope it was a good year. Hope it was a challenging year. I hope you grew in unexpected ways. Come on back for another year of funkiness, obscure music, and pop culture references that you probably won't get, and most importantly, conversations about some smart and simple matters. You have just listened to the Smart and Simple Matters podcast with Joel Zaslowski. Now go simplify something. Hug someone or get your sexy spreadsheet on.